Hey there, this is Matt. Welcome back to Food Under Fire, where we explore the grace and resilience of hospitality folk in a year that grows ever more uncertain. If the quality sounds a little bit different, it's because I'm speaking to you in my friend's house. I'm using a little makeshift podcast studio with these portable sound wall things. Yeah, it's a long story, but I'm getting my car fixed and I'm at their house for a little bit. So I'm recording this here. Actually, the person's house that I'm at right now is the house of Emily Reese, who was my host while I had my little food segment on Jazz 88 or 88.5. So kind of funny how that works, almost like a full circle thing. So anyways, it's September and September has always felt like a time of change. Throughout the first quarter of our lives, this is the time of year when school starts. This is the time that marks the slow transition into fall, a time when the weather begins to cool down. It's honestly one of my favorite parts of the year. But with all that being said, if you stop and look at it, it's kind of crazy that we are seven months into the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, what a weird time it's been. Oh, and speaking of time, everything between March and now has just felt like this surreal blur. I'm sure you might feel the same way. But even though it's surreal, it's also heartening. Everyone listening is lucky to have made it this far. Perhaps you experienced severe disruptions in your work, maybe you lost a job, maybe you knew someone who got sick, perhaps you knew someone who lost their life. And yet here you are, here we all are, trudging on as we humans tend to do. And we're trudging on together, virtually no one is unaffected by this thing, so take it one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. Before we get into today's episode, be sure to follow the podcast on the official Instagram page, which you can now find at Food Under Fire Pod. You can find it on Facebook as well under the same name. I'll also include a link to the newly created Food Under Fire YouTube channel. I'm trying to get in the habit of filming the first half of these podcast conversations, so if you want to check that out, visit the link in the description or visit my social media pages. The one I did with Tracy Singleton from Birchwood Cafe and Gary Wordish from the Minnesota Farmers Union should be up, so check that out. If you enjoy the show, consider subscribing on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You could also share with a friend or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. There comes a time in life where we all have to make a decision on what to do with ourselves. Soon after we finish our schooling, at whatever point that may be, we realize that we have to work. It's an integral part of the human experience. We are all extremely capable beings and at some point we must put our capabilities to the test on some job somewhere. Now there are many different ways that you can approach this. Some of us get to work after high school, others go to college to get a degree, some even go beyond that and achieve a master's, a PhD, or go to something demanding like med school. Regardless of where you're at, we're all on an epic search to understand our utility in the world. And when it comes to Jo Seddon, she thought she had completed her search early on, 
She had achieved the holy grail of human utility by becoming a physician in some of London's top hospitals. But then something happened to Joe, or rather, something shifted. A yearning for creative expression, a desire to project her true self into the world. And this is the thing with us humans. We get so caught up in who we want to be for the sake of others that we often forget who we really are. But in the moment Joe was born, she was a chef. She was destined to cook for people. But she just took a bit of a detour. After realizing that medicine wasn't a genuine expression of her identity, she threw herself into some of London's best Michelin-starred restaurants. Later in life, she moved to Minnesota and got jobs at Belcor and Broder's Pasta Bar. Since then, she has become more of an independent chef, doing things like hosting social suppers out of her own home. But I've talked enough. Joe and I get into all this stuff and more, including how exactly she has dealt with COVID-19. We decided to meet at one of my favorite spots in the Twin Cities, Phelan Lake. So I did my usual routine, got there early, lugged a few chairs from my place, and started to set up. At 9 a.m., I get a call. Hi, this is Matt. Matt, it's Joe. Oh, hi there. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I just want to check I'm in the right place. I'm kind of in this parking lot by the Phelan Beach House. Right. You are totally in the right place. Um, you didn't have. You don't happen to be wearing yellow, do you? I am. I'm wearing a yellow cardigan. That's hilarious because I saw you and I, I was like, is that her? But yeah, so that was definitely you and we definitely crossed paths <laughs> and we didn't even know. So we meet and we kind of just started chatting. As you can imagine, it all began with a conversation about food. I just only eat meat that I source myself, really. So what does that mean, you source yourself? Like so, no, I don't, mean, I don't mean I hunt it myself. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, that I know exactly where it's come from okay. and that I trust the farms. And, you know, luckily, being in my position, I have a really good relationship with some of the, you know, my suppliers. So that really helps. Yeah. So I can buy it there. I don't really buy grocery store meat. Right. Yeah. That that's that's a tough issue just in general trying to tackle the the ethics of eating meat versus versus not eating meat because it's so deeply ingrained into our food system especially just, you know, I'll be honest, I buy meat at the grocery store because it's just the easiest yeah. for me right now. I mean, and I wish I had like a better excuse. Uh my other excuse is that it's cheap, but uh, it's a tough one and I think you know the reality is as well that you know I'm in a position where I know how to cook I have access to it and I have the desire most people you know it's financially driven they can't they, they can't make those choices financially and uh, you know there's just it's not available to them right and people don't really understand that actually just maybe eating meat once or twice a week and better quality and, you know, spending up on your meat that you do buy is so much better than eating meat three times a day right. and yeah. just pro- you know, putting processed kind of rubbish into your mouth. Right. That's how I feel anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anything, any, anything to get more whole natural foods like vegetables and fruits in your diet, I guess. I mean, I've said it on this show multiple times, but I come from a background of dietetics. That's what I originally went to school for. Oh, really? but. <laughs> But I, I was just not very good at school. Studying, <laughs> studying and, and, and exams, like organic chemistry, pretty much just 
after that class, I was like, I don't think I'm cut out for this stuff. So I just went into media. Well, let you, let you know, I, I come from a background of being a physician. Well, so yeah, I did organic chemistry as well. <laughs> well, I, I, I read about that. It's just, it's an interesting transition, but it's a transition I always like to see when someone goes from the realm of professional, uh, high, up on the hierarchy of work to like, I'm a baker and I care about food. That's like, that is really cool. I know uh, Vanessa also in your kitchen yeah. space. and she was a paralegal. For she was a paralegal years, yeah. and she turned to food too. And I always love that story of that transition of just that high octane job to something that is also could be said is high octane, but is just, I don't know, it's of an entirely different nature. So how yeah. did you make that transition and why? So, um... I've always loved food, loved cooking. It's been a, like a really deep passion of mine. And I feel like, you know, even from my late teens, early twenties, I always, and I think, I feel like there was, it was always just there. Should I do something in cooking? Should I not? And then I, you know, I did well at school. I went to medical school and then halfway through medical school, I had a real crisis of confidence. And I mm. thought, shall I leave? And actually I, you know, had all the kind of prospectuses for, culinary school you know I had my application all filled in and I think my parents weren't really hugely supportive and I got cold feet and so I, I kind of canned that idea went back to medical school and finished and then this was always just simmering on in the background this thing about food and uh I don't know I just woke up one day like in my mid-30s and I was like this I'm gonna wake up 50 and I'm gonna still be wondering should I become a chef and uh and I just, I said to my husband, I think I want to leave medicine. And he just said, just do it. Wow. Um, and I haven't looked back. That's the real truth. Wow. Um, and I love what I do. And I love the, you know, I love the entrepreneurial aspect. I love the creativity. Um, I love the people I meet. I love having my hands on the food. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the creativity speaks a lot for itself too. There's something so fulfilling about in any aspect of work, just kind of taking those inner energies or whatever's going on in there and projecting them outwards. And it just it it's it's a, just this really incredible thing about being human, where you can just do that and be really proud of that, and also affect the lives of others too, yeah. and bring people into that because it, creativity kind of acts as this like attraction point. Or if you express yourself in a way that's really genuine and honest, people will be drawn to that. And that's especially true for food. I think so. And I think that, um, you know, food is ephemeral in so much as it's not like being an artist where you create something and everyone looks at it. it you create something and you gift it and then it's gone. And, you know, like it creates like this bubble of experience. And I, I kind of love that, that piece of it. Um, and I love watching people eat my food. And I've been lucky to have worked in a, a bunch of... Um, you know, open kitchens, restaurant. When I was in in restaurants, and you know, you could see the food go out. You could see people eat, and you could like read their expressions. There's something that you get a real buzz from that. Um, yeah, really cool. So this transition from physician to food, it didn't go from you know physician to your own personal brand. You were in kitchens for a while. You were. So I um so I went to culinary school in in London. Um, trained in a great in a great school called Leith's and I didn't even know what I wanted to do with the kind of the food training I didn't know what I wanted out of it I didn't I don't even think that I really thought that I was gonna go into restaurants um, but I you know as part of the training you go and do a bunch of stages with work experience stuff and um, and I just went into 
a restaurant kitchen. I just loved it. I loved the energy. I loved the kind of the camaraderie. Um, and I really surprised myself. And in the end, I gave up one kind of career with like rubbish hours for another one with rubbish hours. But I was used to it. You know, I was used to working night shifts, used to working weekends. It was kind of like that. What that piece of it wasn't really a hard transition for me right because both industries are really brutal in that regard yeah. I mean and you know you're on your feet all day <laughs> and it's just it's so you know and then there's like I sort of I, I likened it to doing like a, a night shift in the ER where you know you come in at the beginning it, you work like banging hard until like you know midnight and then there's like just this sort of like calming down period it's kind of the same you sort of like there's this natural sort of like sort of break point that you have to get through and then it sort of it's the same working like a night shift in, in a hospital as working a kind of a dinner service. <laughs> right. Um, kind of surprising. So you're in kitchens and then how did the transition go from that to you kind of starting your own personal brand then? Well, um, you know, I love working in, in kitchens and I was really lucky to train in just some great places, um, both in London and then here. You know, I was, I, when I first moved to Minneapolis, I was introduced to Gavin Kaysen and um, helped set up Belcor, which was, you know, like dear to my heart and now is a piece of my heart. That, yeah. That, 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 that's a, a, a separate conversation, but, yeah. you know, incredibly sad to me when, Bel, right. when, when, when Belcor shut. I felt very, very sad. Um, but yes, I guess I was trying to find a route which gave me my own great creativity um, that I, I couldn't find anywhere in the Twin Cities that really made me feel like it was the food that I wanted to cook, which made me realize that I needed to be cooking my own food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that coupled with, you know, having three kids and a husband that traveled, well, it doesn't travel anymore, <laughs> but traveled, <laughs> um, you know, made me think actually I needed to do something which I could control. Um, and it all started out with this, this thing called social suppers that I would was running from my own home. It was like a kind of a, I guess we call it it's like a supper club. People do this a lot in, in the UK. Um, and about every two weeks I'd do these kind of elaborate dinners for about 16 people, um, like a set menu, four courses, um, people would buy tickets and sometimes I'd know them, sometimes I wouldn't, mm -hmm. sometimes I'd be friends of friends. Um, and I guess that's where the whole thing started. And, um, and I used to just love doing them and people seemed to love coming to them. Uh, and then obviously when COVID hit us, I obviously had to shut all of that down. And then I was just sort of able to pivot it to what it is now, um, which has been a very interesting process. In yeah, well tell months. me more about what it is now. Well, I guess it has become a, you know, well, what happened was Obviously, COVID hit. Yeah. Everyone shut their kitchens. Um, everyone was furloughed. I was working at Belcourt part-time. So, you know, so I stopped that. Um, and I then just had this, you know, I, I, luckily I was already renting this beautiful commercial kitchen space that I share with um, Vanessa and a few others. And um, so I already had my kitchen. And I just sort of had this feeling that everyone I knew was exhausted, stressed out, working from home, had their kids at home, and no one had anywhere to get food. And I was like, well, how about I just offer some food to my neighbors and I just see whether anyone wants me to bring around some dinners for them. 
and it just kind of started from that and you know from like three or four families I would cook for to being this kind of you know much bigger operation where I now sort of you know feed like maybe 30 families a week Mm. um, and deliver food to their door Um, and I like to think of it as you know beautiful handmade organic healthy but also utterly delicious food that you probably can't get anywhere else Um, and I seem to have quite a loyal following surprisingly yeah Um, so yeah, that's where I am now. So, well, what are the logistics of that? Like, how did you even set that up? I mean, well, well, the, well take me through the yeah. whole thing. Like, so. Well, I can tell you the hardest thing at the beginning. All right, tell me the hardest thing. The, at the hardest beginning. thing at the beginning was, you know, when nobody wanted to go to a grocery store. Right. Like, you know, they're like two weeks into shutdown, and I was like trying to like, let's say I was cooking for eight families, and I would go to I don't know Whole Foods to try and buy chicken, and you could only buy two yeah. packets of chicken, and I'm like. Yeah, but you don't understand I'm actually cooking for 40 people so I don't like you know logistically I'd like go in and out and it was ridiculous um, and then obviously I started to get my supply lines a bit better um, and things got easier in terms of food but yeah at the beginning I was like well this is what I'm going to be cooking and then there were some weeks I couldn't get the ingredients and people were wonderful and you know flexible about stuff I was like well this week I can't get rice actually um, do you remember those days when there was no rice in the supermarket <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I kind of would do all the groceries and then, um, I would spend two or three days cooking and deliver like two or three days a week. Mm. Um, sort of initially it was just to kind of my neighbors and then it sort of just snowballed out just by word of mouth. Um, and now I'm kind of excited cause there's, there's this piece that's going on, but there's also, um, something which I'm developing, which is like more of a, like date night or dinner party drop off, which is kind of like, you know, beautifully presented like very little work that you need to do to it yourself um and like a restaurant experience in your own home um which is also doing well at the moment awesome yeah well i mean those early days were you kind of like on autopilot were you worried at all or was it just like okay this has happened now i'm gonna do this i mean what was well so right at the beginning i'll tell you you know i have never been a stay-at-home mom i've always worked right being at home cooped up with my three kids like drove me insane <laughs> homeschooling was you know like seriously i i it, it was it was awful you actually um, have like did your own homeschooling regimen well you, you we all had to like you know that this was this is what it was our kids were all at home you know i have an eight-year-old a six-year-old and a two-year-old wow and, that's a half <laughs> you know so it was it was challenging and so initially I would just try and leave the house to go to my kitchen to cook for for a few hours. It was almost like my sanity. Um, and then I realized that actually by creating some food and taking it to other people at this time of crisis, it was kind of creating sanity for them. Um, and, you know, then it was that sort of that juggling act of, of kind of like just my, my family life with, with work and then just like the work sort of gradually stepped up and stepped up um and you know I've just taken somebody on board to help me which is alleluia delighted about yeah um but yeah I'd say those first those early days were tough um I think that you know my background in medicine and specifically I was an infectious diseases doctor you know gave me a like a degree of perspective and confidence and I think it gave other people a, 
kind of confidence in me, you know, to know that, you know, that I had this background, which meant that my concept of safe was a very safe concept. You know, when we were all treading around on kind of like eggshells and not sure how to behave or what right was, we still don't really know, but yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point. You were practically made for this kind of scenario. <laughs> I mean, with everything that you've experienced in your past work, I can see how the reaction to some of these circumstances would be second nature. Yeah, a little bit. And although I don't want to, you know, belittle the pandemic, when you've worked in a hospital and you've, like, you know, trained to look after people with Ebola, it's looking after, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. considering... <laughs> you know the consequences and the and the dynamics of like you know the covid virus is it does help you put things in perspective right um so yeah that was that that was definitely helpful mm-hmm. um but you know it's 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 been interesting watching how my business has evolved how the how the food industry is evolving um and you know there's obviously it's we're going through some crisis points but um, yeah I definitely also feel that the food industry is packed with incredibly innovative, you know, entrepreneurial people who will kind of pull their businesses out of a crisis and will make it work. Um, and actually, I feel very positive about what's going to happen out of it. Um, I, I know that restaurants will close, people will lose their jobs. It, it's it's grim right now. Uh, but. I don't think it's going to be grim forever. Yeah. Well, change doesn't always look pretty when it first occurs. No, and, it, it, and it feels very uncomfortable. It, yeah, of course it does. It's, it's like, you know, it's hugely unsettling. Um, and I think it's, particularly living in Minnesota, unsettling to know what's going to happen when it gets cold. Because right now, we have that sort of security of being, oh, we can dine on the patio, we can eat and you drink outside, but... And journalists can interview people outside. Yeah, and it's you know, just like, like on a day like today, it's like a day that God made. I mean, right. it's so beautiful. Yeah. And you, you can't believe that it's not going to be like this in three months' time. It's, yeah, I'm going to miss it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I think that that, that will be a, a huge challenge um, for the industry. Um, it's been, you know, obviously I'm from England and it's been very interesting following what's happening in the UK right now. Um, and there's been a very successful government scheme that has really, really helped the restaurants called um, Eat Out to Help Out, uh, where the government has subsidized restaurants, I think putting a 50% discount on their food Monday through Mm. Wednesday um, to get people back into the restaurants, to restore people's confidence in going back inside and going back to eat. And... I think that that, you know, something like that could be very successful, you know, in this type of environment when we end up having to go back indoors, you know. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what it looks like. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to think about, like, how do we begin that in- reintegration process of getting people used to that again? Because I, um, I don't know, maybe the subtle changing of seasons in a place like here will be slow enough for people to get the hang of it. But I don't know, for others, it might be jarring when things start to get really cold, you have to be indoors almost all the time now. And then what does that look like? Yeah. No, it's, it, it, it's definitely, um, it's definitely tough. And I think that, 
I think what's what's hard you know when I look at you know for me let's say if you go and eat out now it's hard because you want to go and eat out because you want to I want to be supporting my own industry but it, it does not feel like a relaxing experience is the truth you know you have to go you have to get screened you have to wonder where you walk you have to you know put your mask on here there your server comes to your table it's you know for me it takes the hospitality out of out of what it should be and yeah I think for us as an industry trying to work out the you know it's not just people don't just come to the restaurants to be fed they come to relax to experience a like you know convivial atmosphere to be you know served mm-hmm. and when you take those pieces out of it actually how do the diners end up feeling at the end is is a is a point that sort of troubles me as a you know as a cook and also as a as a diner um and i think that's kind of why i'm trying to work out how i bring that kind of that gift of hospitality into someone's home to create this kind of this safe way to to dine without having to do the dishes without having to plan it without having to manage leftovers you know um i think that that's that's going to be a challenge for us all yeah yeah it's interesting that you say it's lost the hospitality element because dining out now is almost like an act of selflessness you're not really going out because it's it's pleasing to you like it's relaxing you're going out for the for the mere act of support like you're doing it just so that you know the the recipient can survive you're not doing it because like you said it's a relaxing comfortable thing anymore which it's not and that's just kind of like a sucky thing to admit and maybe you know if it's an open wider outside space it's a little bit better but um anything more confined than that it's just it loses that thing it once had yeah, which which makes it so hard for people like not just you and me just anyone just like me i certain places i like to go out to eat and just me being in my house deciding whether or not i should go out is just i've never had to do that like if i want if back in the day if i back in the day if i wanted to go somewhere i'd be like let's just go but now it's just like so I gotta get my mask, and but where's the seating gonna be? And, and have like, I reserved? Or we we, we we can't just go and have a drink now. We have to reserve to have a table. Should and I get a sixty minute or a ninety minute? <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's complicated, and it takes it takes the spontaneity out of it. And um, I think those are the things that weigh on our souls and make us feel kind of like crushed by COVID. Yeah. When when you think about all of those layers that are frustrating, um, but you know it will pass yeah it will pass it's just getting through it right well i think the best part about covid if there is a good part is um it's led to a lot of for me at least i i know that it's been the same for many others but it's led to a lot of self-reflection and understanding like what i want to do with my work and how that needs to change and just having greater gratitude for just a lot of different things in life and and wanting to grow but also discovering new things about myself and that's something I want to ask you and something I often ask people on this program is like is there something about you that you discovered during this whole thing that you're oh I never knew about this element of myself this is great or maybe you've just found it in within yourself to do certain things that you never would have expected I think the two things that have really like come about for me like I mean I think I've always known that I'm an introvert uh, but I've always managed to like find time to be on my own but then 
having like everyone in one house all the time with no escape <laughs> you know that has definitely been harder on me um i need amount, a certain amount of time on my own and that has you know been hard to find um and that's just part of like my soul reflection and my time just to kind of you know like unwind and then also feel creative i feel like i need to be on my own in order to process creative ideas well right and in my opinion that's not even an introvert thing i think that's for everyone like we all need stillness to kind of like bring forth creative ideas and i mean that's crucial and if you lose that you kind of just get lost and just the din and the noise of oh, life. Oh yeah, you just feel like there's chaos. Like I feel like the chaos is raining. <laughs> right, and you can't. There's like a no, there's no such thing as a creative idea in that mind state. No, and so that's the first thing. I think the other thing which has just been like such a source of happiness and solace for us has been we, you know, I feel like our world shrank down. Um, our kids were at home the whole summer, but we just discovered this incredible neighborhood we live in, and our neighbors that we just waved at like you know last year like are now our great friends and it's really given me a, a real sense of community in a way that I don't think I had one or I had you know like it was loose before but I think it, we now feel very bonded together yeah it's like you kind of like you know you've gone through the crucible together um, yeah. and 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 you know I, I think those bonds will be lasting and that's a yeah that's a really hugely positive thing um, particularly, you know, as an outsider, not not being Minnesota, not having any family here, not having any support here, like I feel like I've got these like giant arms of family now all around my kind of my local community. That's, yeah, that's really amazing. Yeah, and I hope more people feel that way because perhaps this pandemic was like this cosmic reminder that <laughs> as a society or something we've grown too separate yeah, and we're disconnected. disconnected, separate, and we're just not doing something as simple as talking to our neighbors yeah and i think there's that and then you know obviously we all so you know live through those awful days of the you know after the murder of george floyd and the protests and and then just the ongoing kind of discussions going on after that and i think that that's you know going through that together was a big deal um and you know i think made people who were not quite strangers but just acquaintances have like these huge deep and profound conversations together yeah um as we all process that right um so i feel like you, know, you kind of get close in a very you know in, in in like an accelerated way yeah um you know you open up and you show your feelings and you cry together in a way that maybe you would never have done before yeah with people you didn't know so well yeah it's been a weird year but it's just all things that needed to happen yeah I, I mean, mean I I remember before I moved to the US I mean you, I'm, I'm mixed race myself my mum who is of Indian origin um, said to me she, you know uh, you know race relations are very different in the US and I was like well what do you mean she's like yeah you know there's it's, it's a very different thing there is a degree of racism there that you don't encounter in the same way in the UK and Europe and I sort of I guess I sort of swept it under the carpet and kind of ignored it because I was like I, don't, I can't believe that's true you know this is America um, but it is true and it's kind of been shocking to see it um, and 
is just sad that in 2020 this is these discussions are still so live and so real um that need to happen i mean you know it's obvious yeah so yeah let it let it all come out right yeah yeah this this country in particular is in dire need of a awakening or rebirth I don't know and hopefully if a we change of leadership <laughs> I don't want to let's not get I, that oh god that's a, that's, a, that's <laughs> edit that out that's <laughs> a that's a wormhole for sure uh but it's not just that it's just so many other things I mean it's just and that's why as you mentioned the George Floyd situation and then the COVID situation hopefully be, people become more conscious of things that we just have been ignoring like I just feel like we've all been living on autopilot and like things are fine and Da, da 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 but now that we're hopefully COVID is bringing a deeper understanding of who we are and then George Floyd is bringing forth a, a deeper consciousness of a lot of the injustices that occur that we just don't even think about it's like oh that's right this is still a thing this is something that we keep fighting for so yeah so I mean with all, everything happened going forward I mean what are your what are your thoughts and hopes and what's your kind of attitude going forward you know, I'm I'm a positive person. I'm like a, a, a glass half full person. So I, 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 you know, I just believe like right now it's one step in front of the other. And, you know, there are good days and there are bad days. And you just kind of keep moving forwards. Um, from a from a personal perspective, you know, I, I feel like I've had an extraordinary year. Like I've built this business, which kind of was just sort of, I don't know, just going along in a sort of a, undulating fashion to like going like full pace yeah. um working full time with my you know and full time parenting um so i'm kind of just looking forward to maybe seeing what the next arms of the business are going to do you know i feel like delivering you know i i never thought that i was going to be a meal delivery service let's be honest <laughs> but um that seems to be you know creating a lot of pleasure for people um but then it's just like okay so how do i then also um do something which is you know potentially a little bit more high touch which is a little bit more um you know high-end restaurant quality um you know i i don't I'm, i'm not a fancy cook i don't like i'm not like i'm not there never been a cook with tweezers and micro herbs i'm a very very rustic cook um, that's the way I trained. I just believe in incredibly beautiful ingredients, looked after nicely and not overdone. You had to have used tweezers at least once. Though, I do cook- not. I do not own a pair of kitchen tweezers. No, no, no. And you're like, and you're professional like, I, in kitchens. You I never, have never used a pair of tweezers. Wow. I, okay. I, I use I use my hands and I use tongues. All right. Um, but you know that's I I I trained under under the tutelage of a place called the River Cafe in London. Yeah. The River Cafe is, um, well, was run by these two female chefs, one who sadly passed away a few years ago. So uh, Rose Gray and Ruth Rogers. And Ruth, uh, in fact, is American. Um, she they, they set the cafe up in the late 80s, um, serving rustic Italian food. It, it, you know, has had a Michelin star for over 15 years. Uh, and But just serves, like, incredibly simple food done well um, with a huge emphasis on pasta um, fresh pasta made every day 
Um, and I guess they did for the restaurant industry in the UK a similar thing to maybe what Alice Waters was doing in Chez Panisse, kind of in terms of like the Californian food movement. Um, and so that's where I trained, which was, you know, very un foams, emulsions, n- no tweezers, you know. <laughs> um, so no, I don't own that stuff. And I don't cook like that. Um, and I don't think I ever will, really. It's kind of interesting the way you sort of you kind of go through a, a sort of a food training kind of right, and that's who you become, and then you make it your own a bit. Right. Um, I can't remember where this started now, but yeah, that's. Well, just going forward, like. Oh yeah, so I I would you know I think what I would love, you know, I, the thing that I miss I guess is being able to go into people's houses and, you know, cook bespoke food for people like. I, I don't think ever see myself as like a big scale caterer but I love to do you know up to 20 people kind of like chef led dinners um, where I can really talk about the food I feel like the part that I love about food is taking something that's truly authentic and replicating and explaining to people why it is what it is um, you know you can make a tomato sauce let's say in 50 different ways you can slow cook it fast cook it you can use canned tomatoes you can use fresh tomatoes you can and all of them are valid um, and all of them can be delicious but if I tell you why we're making this pasta with tomato sauce this way and it's because these are the tomatoes that go with this type of pasta and it's the way they cook it in you know these villages in Calabria and they only ever have it with this olive oil and this type of cheese you know like then people understand why it is what it is and it it creates a connectiveness to food that I think is really unique and I kind of I miss being able to do that you know to to dis- discuss the food as I serve it um, and that's kind of what I used to do at social suppers when I was hosting those in my own house um, so hopefully we'll get back to things like that and uh, and evolve and grow um, and you know, just put one step in front of the other. Yeah, yeah. You'll get back to it one day. I mean, this this feels like sometimes it feels like it'll never end, but it'll it'll end in the way it needs to. And things won't be the same, but you'll. I think we'll be able to return to the things we love the most. Yes, like. and things won't be the same. I think what'll be interesting is that I don't think any of us can predict how we're going to get shoved out the other end of this and mm-hmm. what what it'll all look like when it all dies down yeah my advice is to don't even think about no. it and just like I, and, and, do what you need to do every day like and, I think and that's exactly what I mean just like just one step in front of another you know there's a I, I feel really really cheesy to even say this but just before the pandemic I took my kids to the movie theater to watch Frozen 2 <laughs> and there's this moment where one of like the one of the like Anna is like you know she's she's suppressed and she can't get out of this 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 place and the song is do the next right thing and I feel like I had this in my head at the beginning of the of the of the pandemic was like all you have to do is just just do the next right thing yeah and it's just like one step in front of another and it and it'll all just kind of pan out um and I think just keeping your eyes up and your head up and we'll kind of work it all out together yeah well, we can we can end there with some Disney wisdom. <laughs>
you know, those those Disney movies always have stuff like that for maybe the the parents who have oh, to be yeah. tugged along, and it's just it's like surprisingly profound. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tell you what, surprisingly. Yeah. yeah, we all have a philosophical breakthrough with Disney yeah. every once in a while. So. Yes, indeed. All That's right. Funny. Well, thank you so much. Oh, I hope that was for doing this. I hope you can get some useful stuff out of that. Yeah, of course. This was a lot of fun, and again, perfect day too. Perfect. Hi there. Thanks for sticking around. I'll include everything you need to support Joe in the description of this episode. As a reminder, be sure to follow the podcast on the official Instagram page, which you can now find at Food Under Fire Pod. You can find it on Facebook as well under the same name. If you enjoy the show, consider subscribing on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You could also share with a friend or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So, not much else to say here. Just remember, one foot in front of the other, one day at a time. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Take care.